Welcome to Proudly Resents and ProudlyResents.com, the cult movie podcast. Today, we're going to talk about The Room, which we'll probably talk about a lot. But I have two great guys from MipTalk, MipTalk.com. They were on the fence about what is a bad film and would this be funny. So I was like, screw it. I'm going to give them the best. This is the Chrysler. This is the Citizen Kane of good, bad films. It's The Room. We will talk about this movie again. I will get people from the film. So please leave a comment. See what you think. <laughs> Joining me here for this great historic moment, we have... Hey, everybody. It's Noam Dromi. I am a marketing executive and writer in Los Angeles and also the host of MipTalk.com. I'm Brad Rowe, also a host on MipTalk.com and uh, an actor, writer, and producer. And I build rockets on the weekends. On the week, I thought you were going to leave that out. Uh, definitely check out MIP Talk. It's a really good show. It stands, MIP stands for... Uh, most Interesting People. So it's conversations with the world's most interesting people. And after we talk about today's film, um, I think it's now going to be our quest to actually speak to the guy who made this <laughs> cinematic if, abortion that we're about to talk if about. If you can get a straight answer from Tommy Wiseau, and if anyone's listening to the show because they like bad movies, you've seen this movie. It's The Room. Written, Not a room, the room. It's the exact room. <laughs> <laughs> this movie came out of nowhere, 2003. It, it's considered one of the best worst movies out there. And it's probably the worst movie of the century. I really, I enjoyed it so much simultaneously while wanting to scratch my eyeballs out and maybe shoot myself in the head. I couldn't stop watching it. And I, I will recommend this movie to everyone that I know. <laughs> Without I, a doubt. Yeah, Without so it's doubt. so bad. It, this is exactly what we're talking about. It's so bad. It's, it's, that's what's enjoyable. But if it was a good movie, if it was well made, right. eh, you know, whatever. It just occurred to me, though, that if you honestly went to directors who had some level of skill and you said your assignment is to make the worst film ever, none of them could reach the level of suckitude of this movie. Yeah, this is like a Zucker Brothers airplane version of bad filmmaking. There's, there's, right, there's like one even scene... Even Ed Wood is an auteur compared to this movie. I, you know, it's just coming to me right now, but this, this takes place in San Francisco instead of Basic Instinct, and I think there may be some correlation between the two. I think there may have been Maybe. some inspiration. Yeah, he probably lifted the whole idea, yeah. I think he did. Oh, he's compared the two. I never compared yeah. it to a good movie before, or a good director before. He stole the idea. Oh. And I'm just, honestly, when you think about, many of us know people who work in the movie business, and you think about how difficult it is to get an independent film, how on God's earth did this man get this movie made? Right. And when you guys make a movie, you're in a movie, you think, what's the worst can, that can happen? This is it. This the is the worst is that can happen. I, I was amazed, though, uh, at his story. This guy, Tommy Wiseau, uh, he went out and raised $6 million by himself because for some reason this project was rejected by the Hollywood system. <laughs> he had to work fucking outside Hollywood the system. system. God and apparently it. the money, if the lore is to be believed, was yeah. made through the importing of Korean leather jackets. Because <laughs> we know Korean leather is a unique... It's very, yeah, yeah very, very high in demand. Yeah. People love the Korean leather. Is that Korean leather? I uh, think it's sort of like Ricardo Montalban used to call it Corinthian leather. It's now Korean leather. What if that was his excuse? Hey, I made a million dollars in Corinthian leather. You mean that made-up advertising term? Uh, oh, fuck. Uh, Where is Corinthia, anyway? I don't know. It's south of Suede, I think. <laughs> Pat Nozzle put out a video, which you can find on YouTube, uh, where he pretends he's Tommy Wiseau and he gives a speech and he's... Trying, he's alluding that the money came from uh, to be washed, that the money was being embezzled. embezzled I, th as I, it think were. The, I think this is my, you know, I, and, I, and of course, I think sometimes the worst of people. I think he made the money in drugs, 
And I think that he just had his crew up used. on the roof. <laughs> I think he had his crew on the roof when that guy came out to shake to shake down young Denny for his money. So, I mean, that was a really, truly inspired, impassioned uh, hustler drug scene. Out of nowhere. So this is, by the way, Brad saying that he did it was a drug dealer. <laughs> yes. No, we do not agree <laughs> under any terms. I've talked about this before. Filmmakers that aren't American come to America and they want to make America sounding films. So mm-hmm. they'll name the lead guy Johnny, most likely, right. like in this case. And they, English is not their first language. So it's written like someone who doesn't speak English for the, in their first language. So there's usually a blonde guy reading, you know, all American guy reading this choppy English. Uh, well, so this has every cliche from every movie. You got, can you either want to just give it like a quick synopsis so we know what we're well, talking about? I mean, I, Which doesn't even matter, by the way, what the I, movie's about. I think one of the things that really stood out for me is that this fellow has constantly mentioned the fact that this is sort of like a modern-day Tennessee Williams. And, you know, people who are fans of sort of American playwrights from the 20th century, Tennessee Williams was all about the melodrama from Streetcar Named Desire to Cat on a Hot Tin Roof. So the plot of this film. Yeah. essentially uh, involves, like you said, the all-American or all-cyborg or whatever he is, uh, <laughs> Johnny. Things seem to be going really well for him in his life. He's due a promotion at this bank where he works at, but that's a whole bizarre subplot because you have no idea what he does or, or what, what the it, what, is. Yeah, It's the what, implied <laughs> story of Working Girl. <laughs> he stole that section from Working Girl. <laughs> and his fiance, who all of a sudden decides that she hates him with a passion starts screwing around with his best friend who like played it, by it, Greg Sestero yeah, who, who doth protest not all that much because every single he's time like, he's like why are we doing this you're I'm evil alright he keeps saying but I'm his best friend and oh, then he good. takes his takes his shirt off she is my girl he is my best friend I mean this dude is like Arnold Schwarzenegger in a parallel universe. And, on half uh, a bottle of quaaludes. He's got a neighbor kid who apparently like, like is the orphan slightly kid. retarded. Danny the voyeur. Yeah. Who likes to hang out on the 20 square foot roof with a basketball. And she, Lisa, who's the fiance, has a best friend who really serves no purpose other than to bring the guy into the apartment to eat chocolate. And then there's the mom who's got breast cancer, and they that's mentioned, mentioned once. once. It's, it's an amazing every- announcement, though. I mean, it's just it's sandwiched right in the middle of another conversation. So the doctor mentioned once, and then she I says, the breast cancer. Well, she, "Mom, I got to get ready for the party," and they stop talking about it, and that's in it. fairness. It's over. In fairness, you don't have to oh, in fairness, the daughter says is complaining about her boyfriend. Yeah. The mom says, "I have cancer," and the daughter reminds her that. They are curing this disease all the time. Oh, really? oh that's a good point. That's I, a good I point. Actually, <laughs> I, I actually don't remember that. <laughs> Gives her a little bump ah, on the arm. Mom, it's okay. Oh, they solve right. this you stuff all the time. Four breast cancer, whatever. <laughs> yeah. Oh no, they solve it all the time. And okay. So, to the extent that anyone could even say what a plot to the movie is, I yeah. think I just made a best attempt. I think the good way actually to go through this movie is to go through the characters. <laughs> Tommy Wiseau is the lead, and he plays Johnny, of course. Let's talk about him. What does he look like? What is he? I, I really need to be as kind as I can. He looks like the Where hunchback from Notre Dame. He's and, muscly. Uh, with and that, he's bizarrely muscly. He's down, definitely on steroids. With like weird skin that obviously comes from too many steroids. Again, that's them saying that. I don't know if he's on steroids. Tommy, do not rip my head off. No, but he is weird. He's like, like your best friend. I don't know. I don't know this guy. I'm scared of him. Problem with Tommy is that he's... <laughs> I love her so much. I, oh, hey, how are you? So I he, mean, he's, is there's, so he's got and... 
He's got some sort of, uh, like you said, Tennessee Williams Tourette's. He sort of just explodes into these just very dramatic moments. And, and then laughs, like his random, like, totally He's ADR his, his, his half giggle into every scene. Like in the, yeah, in the football scene <laughs> where they pull up, <laughs> where they pull up to the, uh, the San Francisco park. Like, hey man, what's going on? <laughs> hey, how are you? <laughs> and then two minutes of playing and then more of that. So the Which, best way to describe him is you... You hear his voice, you think Arnold Schwarzenegger. And clearly, English is not only not his first language, but he has his third It's way low. It's way low in his Because list. apparently half of his dialogue in this movie was dumb. Another so. American thing is football. You're right. They play football. That and, was amazing. Yeah, but there is an alternate scene, which apparently both of you have missed, where that scene is actually a game of basketball. What? Oh, really? Yes. In the tuxedos? Yes. Oh, it's amazing. They come out into the alley and they decide to have an impromptu football game <laughs> where the psychologist three friend... Feet apart from each other. <laughs> because of the camera angle, right? And, and, in tuxedos. In, we don't know why they're in tuxedos. They never explain it. No one's they never getting explain married. It. It's, not for the, it's not for the wedding, but they're all in tuxedos. Yeah. And they all show up at the house in tuxedos. <laughs> I wasn't sure, though. The first time where they have the three-foot football game... Does that was that meant to be an exterior? Yeah. Oh, okay. Because it looks like they all just kind of like, oh, okay. I thought they were standing in the corner. And then of the, the one like, dude kept like just trying to throw the ball, the ball like to that. each other. Well, because in, <laughs> like at least cast an actor. Who although to be fair though, Greg Sestero looked like he could actually throw a football. He was like kind of you know dropping back into the pocket, had a nice sort of you he know finger the, on the laces. He's, he's the, the boyfriend. Up. He was the he was the boyfriend and yes. the lines producer of this movie and he's the fifth and assistant. fifth assistant. Yeah, he's the assistant. To Tom Tom The third lead is also the line producer. And also the assistant. Let's talk about the B-roll of San Francisco. It takes place in San Francisco, and they have this great B-roll of the camera just moving slowly across the skyline, and then the exploratorium. I was trying to figure out how he spent six million dollars on the movie, and I couldn't do the math. And then we figured out a lot of that was was advertising afterwards because he had that billboard up on Sunset for the last five years. The way I found this, and a lot of people right on Highland driving to work every day, you see this huge. And this is in a big part of LA. This is. Right really here, expensive right real estate at the intersection of uh, Sunset and Highland and uh, Hollywood or Holly just, just below, below Sunset just below Sunset it's right, a great right. spot and it's got to be really expensive prime prime real estate so that, obviously a lot of money went there it's like but three years he was, was shooting up. at yeah. some incredibly expensive locations in San Francisco right. and he actually had to have shot in there because you know he was walking in front of the Exploratorium well, he was walking in front of some that they green downtown everything on the roof all we know that's all green screen too <laughs> I had no idea it was green screen by the way the roof that was amazing it was you, obviously green screen, but I was like, oh, really? Someone said it was green screen. Like, oh, yeah, of course. Well, you can't really, really tell until he tries to throw the psychologist friend the over the side of the yeah. roof, yeah. and they do that, that no. shot up. And I think that's why they chose to do the, the green screen. I don't know is So that they could do just that one shot, I which lasted so. all of a half a second of the movie. There's a lot of main sets. That guy would not have been the right. No. Movie. Not at all. When I lived in New York, the the cheap place to shoot everything, every public access show, every idea, was shot on a roof. Yes. That was a and studio the actual for the poor roof. Right. Right. Because you go up on the roof of Which your own apartment, no one knows what's going on. You, you don't need permits. You, you can shoot. Yeah. But you got guy, beautiful no vistas. Tommy Wiseau, who is the writer, director, <laughs> producer, producer, executive producer, producer, and executive producer, he wasn't sure if he was going to shoot it in film or HD. So he shot it. In so film. why decide? <laughs> yeah. Why make those decisions before you shoot your movie? So just to go to the Burger beginning camera package and let's Whoa. get film and digital and put them side and by I side. I don't think they used any of the thirty-five shots in the movie. It's all HD. Everything is slightly off. Yes. Because yeah. nothing is really framed. Because, because usually right. why you have two cameras is because you're center. shooting in three D. And could you imagine <laughs> his ass in? 
three D. Oh, when he gets out of bed in his ass. A thirty-five HD hybrid of his ass pumping the side of her thigh would be so hot. It's like worse than any Cinemax. The sex scene. It's they have this fake water dripping because it's not really raining. It's like one right. of those things you get at Z Gallery where it's what water the, dripping. Uh, what was that blue? What was that? That blue? blue no, that blue night. Uh, it was like on on skin on Skinamax. They used to do the blue nights of uh, of, of movie where it was just all softcore uh, porn. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Red Shoe Diaries type. Red Shoe Diaries. Yeah, exactly. Blue. <laughs> it was blue. Blue <laughs> journals. Um, it was so, like blue or something. So now that we've described him, let's In describe. Well, there's Red Shoe Diaries, but obviously wasn't talking about that. He said blue. Let's talk about the next character, Lisa, played by the lovely Juliette Danielle. Dirty, dirty, dirty. She is the girlfriend who's cheating with the best friend, and her mother has cancer, and she doesn't care because she knows there's a cure. And she apparently, knows. she's having difficulty in the cutthroat world of, of the computer business. Even though you never see her with a client, no. you never actually see her doing anything in the computer business, but her mother says, oh, Times you need hard. somebody to take care of Times you because hard. that's a really cutthroat industry. I can tell you, 2003, terrible time to be in computers. <laughs> terrible, terrible, terrible time. Just seen the yeah, terrible time movie. to be in San Francisco they, they, yeah. <laughs> working on computers. There's no jobs. They had yeah. overcome yeah. the Y2K worm. And, uh, <laughs> but I can see why she was struggling, though, because she never actually left the apartment. Uh, <laughs> she never did problem. anything. Was and apparently it was okay that people just randomly showed up to the apartment to hang out. Well, you know, if you show up, you might sleep with her. <laughs> she was very hard to satisfy, though. You know, <laughs> he was. it was kind of like the... Uh, he was, was giving it like, to her and she just wasn't happy. I buy her roses, put diamonds on her fingers. <laughs> okay, we're skipping it was like to the party music. all the, the time. Music. I don't know. Who, you can buy the soundtrack actually. And it's like the worst R and B. They should put Eddie Murphy's song on. And there. I'm willing Absolutely. to bet you because remember 2003 that he found the people who did that on mm-hmm. MySpace. Totally, <laughs> he found the oh, people for great. the soundtrack on. I mean, he had to. They have these it. love scene music that's so great. Uh, it was you great. are they my would rose. Chew it right in as soon as you'd see his ass. Yeah, <laughs> and then it was gone just as after he was done going. And her, but after uh, the closing credits after. After the ending, which we oh, won't right. yet reveal, they cut to that same Wakatana. It's the sad version because it's a sad ending of the of the You Are My Rose. I think Rose they wanted to bring scene. us back to the love, to yeah. feel like the sure. happiness and the connection. Well, he paid thirty dollars for the song, so he wants to use it at least. Well, but, and there was so the happy birthday too. song. He probably paid fifty grand for. So. Do you think he just stole it? I don't know if they caught him yet. No, they have to. I mean, you can't use well, that. Yeah, but though. we're talking about him. Like, so. I know, but I'm sure that you know that's something. The happy birthday the song. Police. Nazis out of police. Out. They'll take you down. So Lisa's, you brought up her eyebrows before. Yeah. It's two different colors. Yeah. Also, her weight goes up and down. It took them a year to shoot the movie. Oh, did it? Yeah. Mm-hmm. There's a cinematic tour de force, dude. Can't rush brilliance, <laughs> I guess. So. so yes, that happens. And in general, and God bless her, because apparently, yeah. again, doing a little bit of research and preparation for today, people were shocked that like on the first day of filming, he dived right into doing the sex scenes. With <laughs> fresh fresh off just... the bus from Texas, as yes. he said, even yeah. though she's from Arkansas. Yeah, and sure. she... Yeah. Yeah, 1980, so she was like in her 20s at the time, 23 years old. Yeah, we need to see birth certificates on this one. (laughs) First day of shooting, and he's just down there just pummeling her. I mean, just come on. After he had looked at over a thousand headshots, by the way. You get Craigslist or MySpace. He he went through a lot of MySpace pictures and party pictures. I was actually actually very impressed with the guy. You know, I just want to call back to the fact that he shot the movie both on HD and on uh, on 35. And apparently, he's going to be coming out with a DVD. Um, to explain the intricacies it, yeah. documentary on on the finer points between DVD and HD, which I think is going to be oh. probably a seminal piece for a lot of film probably schools. Probably eight hours long. <laughs> Elisa has a scene which made me think this was an air, written by the airplane guys because 
She's lying down talking to her best friend about how unhappy she is. This is the eighth scene where she does this. But her neck, if you notice, was like her body is in such a way that oh, her the neck, bone? a bone would pop out of her neck when she talked. <laughs> and, it would, and when you see with an audience, the audience just screams every time it happens. It happens only in that scene, in that movie. And it was almost like a comedy writer said, this is the scene, we'll just have a bone pop up. And everyone will freak out because it's so you gross. remember that? Were you Did you notice? I, no, I didn't see that. We, we, it's like, I we, have to admit, there were a lot of moments where I was actually covering my eyes. <laughs> The thing even in this conversation is you have to see this again. Like we should yeah. be the DVD commentary. <laughs> oh, there's so many good scenes of that. Let's go to our next character, Greg Sisterio, who plays Mark, the best friend who cheats on. With yeah, Lisa. you know, as we hear 45 different times, he is Tommy's best friend. He's Johnny's best friend. It's kind of sad. We do see them connecting as best friends, playing football, <laughs> which is another um, theme. But besides that, the only the only yeah, other thing I see him doing as a best there. friend is sleeping with this girl right, and he's the worst actor and he has a beard and, and then, then that's right. but at least they what was that great it. comment his only job is to carry James Brolin's beard from, from Amity 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 <laughs> yeah, it was just a bad choice and in the beginning he's on the phone with Lisa in his car in the car phone yeah. but it looks if you look at the phone because I've seen this movie a hundred times it's the same house phone that she's talking into <laughs> in his car it is isn't yeah, it yeah. He's talking doesn't anyone like have a cell phone wire. out here <laughs> Ring, 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 ring. I'll get him. I'm in, he's in the back seat. I'll go get him. One moment. It's, this movie is filled with moments where it's like, well, no one will notice. No one will notice that this is out of frame. No one will notice that we're using the same phone. Well, no one will notice that this script absolutely no, no one will notice that we just put the same sex scene back in the movie 20 minutes after we showed it the first time. Right. The fact the movie is so bad they use the same sex The fact that people notice that it's the same sex scene. Like, you're like, don't worry if you missed it the no, first time. No, I mean, time it's the exact happening. same shot with him holding the rose over her breasts with, like, dropping the petals oh. down. And it, oh, my God. It's so great. It's yeah, amazing. Because in my mind, I'm like, well, continuity, they're naked. It in both scenes, how would how can you tell? It's just because it's exactly the shot is the same. Oh, again, who would notice? Let's talk about the orphan. Yes, Denny. Creepy guy. His he, first line that we really remember I like is I watch. like to watch. I mean, they're all up in bed and they all have a little pillow fight and they wrestle a little bit and they're like, okay, Denny, time to go. You know, three's a crowd, and he's like, Oh, I get it. You want to be alone. But I like to watch. <laughs> so like, who is this? And then he, is this some mice and men? I mean, what are we watching here? That's a good good reference. Subsequently, coming back with the mother, who we'll talk about uh, her Lisa's mother, who we'll talk about in a second. The door. It's like an episode of Friends. Like the door is just open for people to he walk walks in. in all the time. And one thing, he walks in and just sits on the floor. <laughs> he talks to Lisa and he sits down because they had, had to have a conversation here. behind the chair, yeah. so Johnny couldn't hear them across yeah. the room. Okay. No, it's a very. Strange strategic ca uh, camera place and whenever he walks in everyone says hi Denny <laughs> IMDB spelled his name wrong they spelled it D-E-N-N-Y but it's D-E-N-A-I because it's like Denny <laughs> but I'd like to know also because it's an important <laughs> subplot that goes nowhere is yes. he owes money to drug dealers like what is that all again about? another American movie cliche they're on the roof that gets, that gets dropped though Yeah. after he gets hustled up on the roof he's like the all American sweet kid like Dennis the Menace can I I have some logistical questions on that whole scene though yeah because drug pusher man pulls out the gun says i'm gonna you know i'm gonna cap your ass Denny i'm gonna kill you drug hey, well, yeah. i'll be back De oh De yeah, denny's gonna money in five minutes I'll have five a, yeah they're good they're almost here they're gonna be here in a minute i want it now where's the money all right so he's got the gun there then all of a sudden all the dudes come running up and pull the drug dealer away with the gun then 
ostensibly they take him down the stairs and outside. And, and they throw him out in the street. Or and something. then they're back up on the roof within like 15 seconds. Like, what did they do with the guy who had the gun? <laughs> hey, you get out of here now. Just go. You go now. Because <laughs> we need to play football. <laughs> we have another scene. We need to play football. And the money's going to be here in five minutes anyway. The drug dealer has a name, and his name is Chris-R. And oh, he had a name? <laughs> yeah, Chris R. He was awesome. He's awesome. He comes in. I think he's going to be in the sequel. He's got to be in the sequel. Absolutely. You need him. Denny's Revenge, right? Well, Lisa needs, <laughs> Lisa needs someone else to sleep with. Denny does an action film. He's like, fuck you. Yeah. <laughs> I'll have your money five minutes now. <laughs> fuck you. I'm not watching anymore, am I? <laughs> yeah, Denny's like an innocent kid. He has this thing with a drug dealer, and then he leaves, and we never hear about it again. Or the mother yells at him. Well, yeah, but, but just the whole exchange with Lisa and her mom, like, how could you be into drugs? What kind of drugs? What's wrong with you? Let, let's talk about Carolyn Minogue as Claudette, the mother. She is a keeper. <laughs> I mean, she, she has this staccato delivery style, which is just so amazing. It's like someone was just like putting ticker tape of lines in front of her and she just shoots them out like machine gun fire. She wants to get home. I, th- I yeah, think to the, that, to the nursing home, to the daycare facility. <laughs> Their diaper was wet. Let's be I honest. think that's something that's you know sort of you know, and we can and we can give uh, Mr. Wiseau, we can give him pats on the back, you know, for direction, for acting, for producing. But as far as the direction is concerned, it almost seems like every actor just came into the room, and then all of a sudden he'd throw out a scene number, and it was like, "Go, scene seventy-eight," and then I'll be like, "Shit, what do we say?" <laughs> I mean, it was like it was unbelievable. So apparently, because crew cohesion is so important, there were crew members early on who told them, like, started telling them what to do. So he fired everybody three times over. He got rid of all the crew. This is great because he doesn't know what he's doing. But why would the real cameraman or the gaffer or the grip or somebody actually know? know how to do their job? Yeah, yeah. So I'm just trying to imagine that scenario where they're like, well, you know, this scene. Uh, you know, Mr. Rousseau, this scene doesn't make sense. You're fired! <laughs> you know what? He was right. He was 100% right. Can you imagine if he listened yeah. to somebody who if went to film school? If he had made this more the- technically proficient, it'd be crap. It would be crap. If, if anybody went to film school in this situation, it, we'd be sunk. We wouldn't in, have to film. In opposite world, it would be crap. We would not have an episode of Proudly Resents today. No, we would be talking about... <laughs> no, you're absolutely right. And actually, I, I mean, my heart really goes out to the three different sound guys who had to work on this thing because... They were unable to capture one scene of his dialogue. He had to ADR his entire performance. It must have been his accent was so strong. But who made that decision? Because if he's making all decisions, how would he know? But as I told you, and again, you must watch this. Watching his behind-the-scenes interview where half of it is dubbed also, you're like, I've never experienced something like that before. He likes to be called an American, though. He's from New Orleans. He spent a lot of time in France if, going if, back and forth. If we're to believe any If we're to believe any of the story, but he's holding on to that. You go to the show live, Midnight Showing, which you have to do. He comes out and does a question and answer before the movie starts, which is fantastic. <laughs> so because at that point, he knows the people showing up for the most part. Oh, they're just fucking with But if you ask him, where are you from? He gets really angry. Really? And he says, you and then people who know boo you. <laughs> and he's like, you cannot ask the question. That is, it's like asking a woman her age. Like, how dare you ask me that question? And I had a friend who did that, and he just totally yelled at her. I it was great. That. Everyone just turned on her. It was great. And then everyone's laughing. He won't say where he's from, but Eastern Europe, I think. Tell us says. about that, about, about watching the movie in, a, in the theater experience, because we only have had the, uh, the, the at-home entertainment DVD experience. Everything went through your mind goes through 150 people in the room or two. 200 people at the same time and they're yelling it out. I think I might have to do my birthday there next year. (laughs) (laughs) And you gotta get there early because it totally sells out. Before it became a big deal, I used to go and there would be a lot of film students there. Again, it's because anything that could go wrong goes wrong and it makes you feel better, cathartic, it gets out of you. 
And some kid just turned around to me and said, this is the greatest moment of my life. <laughs> but it is true. Do you look at things differently now that you've seen this movie? I, I think I think color tastes different. <laughs> I mean, you know? I mean, know, another great scene. Let's talk about this thing where Lisa, the girlfriend, has these friends that show up randomly. Who at, who show up to like basically hook up on her couch and eat chocolate off of each other. The weirdest chocolate sexy. is the food of love. And then the and guy then started, started like, eating the chocolate <laughs> off her neck. He's like that was rubbing the, chocolate down her yeah, neck. That, that was the uh, foreshadowing to the neck bone that you would see later <laughs> on, or something. I guess. Oh, and it seemed like in my scenario when I watched it, it was like almost like this guy paid to be in the movie because the scene had nothing to do with the rest of the film. We did discover something very important in the movie, though. A new cocktail, which is whiskey and vodka. And vodka, where you just put in one shot of whiskey and three shots of vodka on top of it. And he goes, mmm, this is delicious. Again. Right after telling us he doesn't drink. And then, and so, and her secret plan, of course, was to get him drunk so then she could claim that he hit her in a, in a drunken rage. But he didn't even fall for it. Because he's like, I didn't hit you. And that was I the end of that. No, no. What it was kind of like was, the cancer. I it was just never mentioned again. you. Lisa, you take me apart. <laughs> The drink is called Scotchka. Scotchka. <laughs> because yeah, yeah. It, it makes no <laughs> the predecessor to Scotchgard. She comes out with two white glasses of clear liquid, we assume is vodka, and she's got a bottle of brown liquid, which we assume is Scotch whiskey. <laughs> Therapist friend. This guy with glasses and a Does huge he have a suit. name? Yeah, I think it's Peter. Or is he like the Peter. smoking man from the X-Files? Yeah, exactly. He's like the, the friend, and he's in a bunch of scenes. no purpose in the movie whatsoever. Well, I feel like at the end of the movie, he was supposed to be the guy in the end. The, the, the guy in the party who talks about, I feel like I'm sitting on an atomic bomb or something. Because all of a sudden, there's a guy at the party you've never met before yeah. talking to Lisa like he's her best friend. and. You know, oh yeah, we've never seen this dude before. But that was Peter. Peter in the scene, he quit. Oh, it was like a, it was like a Darren from Bewitched kind of moment. In the middle oh, of the movie, they switched actors. He quit the movie because, for obvious reasons, <laughs> pretty much after the football scene where he falls on his face, he quits the movie. And then they, instead of explaining a new character, they just replaced him with another actor. The role of That's Peter fantastic. will now be played yeah, They should by. put the card up. <laughs> the role of Peter will now be well, played by... Ladies and gentlemen, we are sorry to announce. <laughs> well, he did a great job. I almost believe the two were the same. <laughs> They're the same person? And they look nothing alike, right? The second guy is this big job. Jeb from uh, Hillbilly is this big guy. Well, like one was hair. bald and one wasn't. <laughs> totally yeah. different. Yeah. yeah, one. Yeah, one was a little more sort of studious and scholarly, and the I other one did look you, a like, little bit more like something out of the Clampets. I gotta tell you, like I'm ready to actually <laughs> like, like watch this movie again right now. I think like I'm gleaning so many insights that I didn't even really appreciate the first. This movie's a lot. Of I need to share this movie with friends. I mean, this is this is something that groups I, of people think, need to be tortured together, like you were saying. Christmas yeah. gift. And I I am really amazed though at how this dude Mr. Wiseau has like he's become an icon like I mean he's got a cult following he's been on major media he's you know this movie I would imagine you were saying it's selling out in theaters all over the place I mean this dude for for being bad you know (laughs) that he's all sudden you know made this name for himself it's like the real life version of the producers yeah and even if let's say this was a money laundering thing how fucked are these guys they were supposed to lose six million dollars now they're they're gonna make 20 million like oh fuck yeah the the day this movie makes 20 million is the day that uh, it's slowly gonna make money let's talk about that though I mean is there a way for this dude to make the, make his yeah. money well, back? He four walls the theater, meaning he rents the entire theater. So yeah. now here in L.A., he was renting one once a month at midnight. That's whatever that costs. And he was charging $7 a ticket. All right. Now all five theaters are sold out uh, every Saturday in L.A. 
and all over and the Ziegfeld in so New York. So how many bots is that? Like twenty five hundred bots paying seven seven. And it doesn't raise the price to ten, which not that many. No. No. no not and then, much. but it's simultaneously in New York, L.A., and oh, yeah. San Francisco. But I'm saying he could be pulling in twenty thousand bucks a month. Yeah, just from this film. You know, just pulling it's a quarter million at this pace, it'll only take him like forty years to get his money. <laughs> <laughs> it'll look exactly the same. I'm sure. I feel dumb asking this, but would you recommend this movie to uh, other people? To absolutely everyone, everywhere in the world. Without I, I, I give it two thumbs up, five stars, and a Hail Mary. And this is a great film, and we'll go see it live, and we'll do another report. One time we went, Peter showed up and did a Q&A, and he I was treated that. like Tom Cruise. And the oh, good, dude, Tom Cruise in the 80s. Awesome. No, sorry, yeah, the yeah. old Tom Cruise. Not the new. No, not the no weird. Tom Cruise. Right, right, right. Or the old Mel Gibson, not oh, okay. the new Mel Gibson. <laughs> My references have to be updated. Yes. Uh, <laughs> very old. But Brett, I want to... You're, you're a professional actor. You've done a yes, lot of films yes, yes, on yes, a lot of TV. Professional is not a Perfe- word. Yeah, well, I mean, it just means you've been paid. <laughs> oh, okay. It doesn't mean there's any quality <laughs> to your work. No, no, not the quality. Definitely not. <laughs> you've done some great films, not so great films. but Yeah, what, definitely some not so great films well, let's talk well. about those. There's so many movies that you do that, you know, if it not for the grace of something, you could be in the room. That's why the room is so great, because you realize... You can really connect with it. Yeah, you yeah, really yeah. can. I mean... Well, has there been a film just when they had moments like this where you're just like, what the fuck is this guy thinking? Yeah, actually, when I was doing the movie Nailed, uh, there was a first-time director, and he had actually written a script. Uh, Harvey Keitel was. Yeah, Harvey Keitel was in that. He was in that? Mary Kay Place was in it. It was a really nice cast. It was just it ended up being a total... What's Keitel like? Did you work with him? I did, yeah. He played my dad. Mary Kay Place was my mom. I was uh, an Irish Catholic Jew. We celebrated. I think we had a a, (laughs) We actually, we had a good time working on that together. We had a fight scene, though, which was intense, which scared the shit out of me. We were out on a golf course. We're actually shooting out here in Griffith Park. We're supposed to be somewhere in Queens on a golf course. He was mad that I wasn't taking his advice. So we were having that scene, and Harvey grabs me by the shirt and literally lifts me off the ground and starts shaking me. And I'm going, holy shit, I'm not going to get out of this thing alive. And of course, you know, we're done with the first take. And I kind of turned to wardrobe. I was like, you got another one of these shirts? They're like, no. Like, all right. So we had to like start the this scene with my shirt like half torn, ready to go again. <laughs> but uh, yeah, Harvey will go there. Wow. Yeah, He'll go there. He was I'm pretty intense. I'm not surprised that he can he lift pretty intense. Man. So speaking of actors who, who like to get physical with you on set, can you share a certain story about the brother of a certain very famous actress? Well, who is that? Oh, man. My guess is it's uh, Eric. Uh, <laughs> am I right? Yes, it is. It is. You know, yeah, that was kind of crazy. That was actually one of my favorite projects called Purgatory, which was a Western that we did for TNT and turned out to be a really nice movie with, uh, with uh, Sam Shepard and Randy Quaid and Eric Roberts and a uh, really, really neat cast. Yeah, we, it was late at night and we had to get this fight scene down. And Peter Stormar, big Swedish dude, he's like 6'4 and very, very big man. He was playing my uncle in the movie and Eric Roberts was playing Blackjack Britain, this really just bad dude. They caught me trying to tip off the town that they were up to, up to no good. So we had this scene where they're supposed to be just taking me down Chicago style. So Eric's job is, Eric Roberts' job, is to hold me up with my arms back while Peter's throwing punches. And of course, the choreography is that I'm supposed to collapse on the punches and be writhing in pain in the whole thing. Well, I'm wearing these huge cowboy boots and Eric's got like a black toe, a busted toe. And I kept stepping on his toe and he was just getting pissed off, getting pissed off. And finally, after about six takes of this thing, Peter throws a punch and Eric decides not to let me collapse on it. And he pushes me up into Peter's fist and crack. And I cracked two of my ribs. He pushed you into the He pushed punch. me into the punch, and I dropped down on the ground, just like writhing in pain. I'm, I was like crying like a little bitch. Yeah. <laughs> he comes over, he's like, you're all right. He's fine. Get up. Get up. <laughs> uh, those were different days. We have 
That's all good. We have resolved things since then. We've talked about it. You it have? Was, you talked to him since then? Oh, yeah, yeah. Did he admit that he did it? He did. He apologized. You know, he was, he was in a different place back then. And, <laughs> I'm sure uh, he's completely sane now. Yeah, he, exactly. Completely sane. So, yeah, no, it was, it was good. Eric and I are good. We're all good. Mip Talk, you guys got to check that out. Thank you, Noam. Thank you, Brad. And check out Mip Talk, miptalk.com. M-I-P-T-A-L-K. Thank you, Adam. You're losing our voices. <laughs> su- such a pleasure being here, man. This was really, really guys, fun. What a great movie. Much. What a pleasure. The Room. The Room. Definitely check it out. Thanks, guys, for watching. And thanks for coming in. Awesome. awesome. Thanks, right. Adam. Thanks for listening to Proudly Resents. Go to ProudlyResents.com. Please, if you enjoyed the show today, put it on your Facebook, put it on your Twitter, link it, hook a brother up, let people know. And you can reach me, Twitter, at ReachAdam, and my email is ReachAdam at Mac.com. Try to befriend me on Facebook. Let me know that you listen to the show. Otherwise, I'm very insecure, and I probably just won't friend you. And listen to MIP talk. All right, thanks again for listening to Proudly Resents, ProudlyResents.com.